another rule, another 101 of real estate to not necessarily rely on predictions of the market. We can be predictive, but we don't want to necessarily go, well, I'm just buying real estate to uh, bet on a prediction. And of course, you know, banks, for example, are always putting out predictions. And there's been so much uh, uh, noise around those predictions over the years, and not many of them have ever worked out to be true. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, a code cracker. We're going to do some real estate 101s. Yes, it's the 101st episode of the Urban Property Investor. And so it got me thinking, we need to do some 101s. They're always a very good reminder, some of the basics around property investment as to why we even property invest. So we're going to dig into some of that. I tell you what, I can't wait to deliver today's content. Welcome to the show. If it's your first time tuning in, uh, all the episodes on the Urban Property Investor podcast series is or are actually lessons on real estate. So jump about, go back and listen to some others. And of course, play the show in double speed, get your life back. Hey, uh, I tell you what, it's time to do some 101s. Everything is good in my world. I hope it is good in your world. Thank you for the reviews, those people leaving reviews. They are most appreciated. It helps certainly other people listen to some of the content I provide. And a big part of my journey, if you like, is just simply sharing information on real estate so people can make some informed decisions as to what they want to do. I always say property investment is up to you. I'm just simply here to give you some ideas, some contrarian viewpoints on real estate. I'll tell you what, uh, I'm pretty open about my strategy. I like the idea of buy and holding real estate. I'm a big buy and hold advocate. I think the longer you hold real estate, the better off you're going to be. But for many people, they also need a trading strategy. And as part of my investment strategy, I also uh, armchair develop and trade real estate that way. So it's kind of a balancing act. I call it like dumbbell or barbell investing. One side of my investment strategy, I kind of buy and hold quality assets. On the other side of the strategy, I do a little bit of trading, but I've learned to do that over a period of time. And uh, certainly I've been involved in real estate for many, many years now. So uh, it's allowed me to learn what I'm good at, what I'm not so good at. Uh, It's allowed me to develop as a human being. And I think one of the biggest problems and one of the first 101s when it comes to real estate investing is to understand yourself, understand where you are in your life, um, who you're participating with uh, in life, 
and make sure that you develop a bit of an investment strategy to begin with. I think one of the first rules when it comes to the 101 of property investment is to really define your destination. You've really got to start with the end in mind. What are you looking to achieve? When are you looking to achieve it by? Uh, for you to live the life you want, what is that going to mean? You're going to potentially have to remove or give up. And if you actually even have realistic goals based on what you can achieve over that period of time. And I often speak to people who want to, you know, build a $15 million property portfolio and do it in five minutes. And it just does not necessarily work that way. You've got to really uh, map this stuff out. And unfortunately, I haven't worked out a way how to cheat the system. Time is the system. And I think one of the first rules we're going to talk about when it comes to the 101s of real estate is time. Time is a big part of the puzzle. And I always say this a lot, the biggest problem you encounter as a property investor is the problem of time. Time in the market really does provide the most amount of growth. Now, I teach the Forex growth plan. As you know, buy well, choose a good location, choose a good safe marketplace, and use some behavioral logic that influence the real estate to create growth out of the assets you buy. But of course, uh, what that entails is you need to go through a period of ownership for the best results for real estate to occur. And of course, a lot of people in real estate make you know, 50, 100 grand or whatever it may be, but it's not necessarily a big result based on the assets they buy. In other words, uh, you know, if you make 100 grand off a million dollar asset, you've made 10%, but you've got a long way to go for that million dollar asset to become a $2 million asset. It needs to go on and double in value. You need 100% return. The only way to achieve that is long-term investment strategies. And of course, I trade real estate. And when I trade real estate, I'm I'm looking to make anywhere from 8 to 25% on my trading strategy. But Real Estate 101 tells us that if you're going to be a buy and hold investor, you can buy the real estate, but then you've got to go off and hold it. And so short-term and speculative investing is, in my view, anywhere up to six years. This is very speculative. Like so much can happen in six years. Think about how even the federal government system works. There's an election every three years. So six years is not a long time to own real estate. You can win, you can lose. Uh, I would rule out being a speculator. Speculation is not investing. If you want to be a trader, you can do that other ways. I do trading by teaming up with other people to do bigger deals, which I couldn't otherwise buy as an individual. So if you are building a property portfolio and we're doing the 101s here, you've got to really build a backbone. And I think too many people do not look at real estate over the long term. Speculation, six years, short term, anywhere from seven to 12 years, medium term, anywhere from 13 to 20 years, long term, 21 plus years in real estate. Yes. 
How many property investors do you know that have held real estate longer than 21 plus years? Uh, how many people do you know that have hold or held real estate for that period of time? What were the results those people got from that real estate? Real estate tells us, and the reason real estate tells us it is favorable over the long term is it takes a very long time, particularly for the compounding effect of change in society to unfold. Think about just, uh, you know, what it takes to deliver a train line or what it takes to deliver, uh, you know, um, defense to Australia. I know uh, recently, you know, we were talking about submarines here in Australia, about the, uh, the you know, when the, the ScoMo government was in power, you know, we were arguing over submarines that are going to be delivered in 2040. Change takes a long time. Uh, you know, the fact that you could see just there just how long this stuff actually takes to unfold. So you've got to go through this period of time and I think the greatest lesson when it comes to the 101s of real estate is to make sure you're doing this over the longer term. Yes, I think it is important to buy real estate well. If you use my Forex growth plan, you're going to end up with a good property. And again, the location and the asset allocation you choose is going to have a direct result in the type of capital growth you're going to get. So I think the second 101, if you like, is actually the power of compound growth. The better located, the better off your asset is, quite often the faster the level of growth uh, compounding on itself. It means you can quite often see some of the better properties double in value quicker. And it's just the way it works. Where there is a high level of demand, where there is a high level of activity, you often see a correlating effect on real estate that the right assets go on to grow a lot quicker. Now, often in this rule, and I've used uh, or explained this once before, you could use rule 72. Rule 72 is just the idea that uh, if we find the capital growth rate of a asset type and we divide it by 72, let me just uh, do this on the calculator with a, a live example, if you like. Uh, so, for example, if we chose the 7% growth rate and we divided it by 72, we would get close to 10 years worth uh, it would take for a property to double. So if you bought a million dollar property and the average growth rate is 7% and it continues to behave that way, it's going to take up to 10 years for that asset to double. Now, I think the lesson here is some marketplaces will perform better than others. That's just the way it is. You may be buying late in the cycle, so you may not get that full Rule 72 applying to you because when you bought, uh, the market already moved. Um, but the point is, I think we've got to choose a number where we're satisfied with what we're doing. And going back to the idea that real estate is a long-term 
sport for the best results, 21 plus years. I like to see personally, and these are my rules of investing, that a property at least doubles over a 15-year period. The compounding rate would be a 5% capital growth rate. I think that's very, very realistic in this marketplace. And I think it's realistic in a volatile economy that throughout uh, your ownership, you're going to see some volatility. You're going to see things like interest rates moving. You're going to see unemployment rising. You're going to see doom and gloom everywhere. And if you want to be conservative, like I am when I look at this stuff, I just factor in that, yes, we have all heard that real estate markets can double quite quickly. Um, But quite often for that to occur, you need a little bit of luck in the context that Uh, you know, you need to be in the right place, the right time, right asset class. And for most people, they buy real estate because the time they're ready to buy real estate is finance driven, not market driven. In other words, they can finally borrow and invest as opposed to the market is the perfect condition for investment. It's a big difference. But the compound Uh, or the power of compound growth is amazing. I mean, Albert Einstein once called this the eighth wonder of the world, right? Like you, all of a sudden, you know, you buy a property, $600,000, then it's worth $660,000. Then the capital growth rate comes for that suburb and it's 10%. You're no longer getting, you know, 10% growth on 600 of what you paid. You're getting capital growth on 660 which uh, is what it's all about, right? And so I think this is an incredible rule to understand about real estate. It will take you where you need to go. It does not grow year on year. And I think a lot of property investors sometimes expect that capital growth is a year on year effect. You can go periods where there is no growth, like five, seven years. You can go through periods where properties go backwards, then forwards. So you need to be able to withstand that. And again, I love value investing. I love choosing real estate, which is, you know, going to, you know, uh, you know, supplement what you do for a living, not rob what you do for a living. So I think the next rule that we need to uh, absolutely understand 101 of investing is most people don't want you to achieve like that. That's the reality of it. Um, the banks don't want you to achieve. They want you to, you know, do the, the full 30 year home loan. The media doesn't want you to achieve. They want you to um, succumb to noise in the market. Uh, potentially even, you know, as, as harsh as it sounds, friends, family, they don't want you to achieve. They don't want you to to leave their social status if you are able to, you know, prove that you could, you know, end up in a better financial place later in life than them. Um, so quite often there's a lot of negativity around us as property investors. And I think the 101 rule of property investment is to really, you know, start a bit of a team because the more positive people you're around when it comes to this thing called property investment, the better off you're going to be. And it's not to say your loved ones are, you know, you know, not 
someone you should never, you know, turn your back on. I'm just sort of pointing out merely that quite often you end up in conversations with people who really should not actually even have an opinion because they've never done what you're trying to do. So go and find people who are uh, embedded in the system and take the good bits of what they advise and uh, learn to, to, you know, um, explore what is going on when it comes to real estate. I guess uh, the next 101 rule is to not give up on real estate. Real estate has been going up for some time, many, many de- decades. It has been moving. And so we have cycles in real estate. And so one of uh, the things you need to learn is real estate cycles can go through periods of decline to periods of stagnation. And so I like to teach a very simple clock and we call that the property clock. At the bottom is six o'clock. That is the bottom of the market at eight o'clock we've got the recovery of the market. At 10 o'clock, we have a hot market. 12 o'clock, we have a booming market. Then we start to slide, right? Things start to change. Sliding market, 2 o'clock. Troughing market, real period of stagnation. Things are flat, 4 o'clock. So again, like if you're going to be a property investor, you're going to see the whole clock, right? That's just the way it works. And if you're going to become a property investor, perhaps you're listening and you're thinking about becoming a property investor, I guarantee it, it's going to be when you can get finance, not when the market is in the perfect place for investment. This is the problem for investors. They face market conditions when they're ready to buy as opposed to when it's perfect to buy. And I say that because the things always move in property as an investment. You know, you could turn your back on in buying a property right now, for example, but what to say next year you could still borrow that money that you're capable of borrowing today. What's not to say, for example, three years from now, if you're thinking about sitting out for of the market for three years, uh, just randomly selecting a number, that a new government isn't elected then who basically, you know, um, you know, comes up with a policy that no one can borrow money at 90%. See, this is the problem we face. We have to understand, understand that a 101 of property investment is it's never perfect to buy property. In fact, property is full of imperfections. It really is not a asset which you know uh you know you can read a chart and then you know pick your moment and jump into the marketplace you have to do it based on leverage the 101 of property investment is leverage it is a leverage prop uh product property investment you know quite often if you were to go and buy crypto or shares you're not necessarily leveraging, you're not borrowing extra money to to bounce into those asset classes, but real estate you are. It is a leveraged product and that is one of the beautiful things about property as an investment. It means that you can take $100,000 potentially 
turn that into $750,000 worth of buying power and go and buy real estate, which then gets, you know, 10% growth on $750,000, not 10% growth on $100,000, which is your real seed of investment. So cycles are a thing. And again, you've got to learn to adapt to the cycles. If you're in the counter cycle, if things are sliding in value, you just buy a little bit differently to as you would be buying if you were buying in a rising market or a hot market where everyone's bidding at once. But the fundamentals don't change. You want to buy real estate, which of course is going to last the test of time, good location, good piece of land, whether even that land is an apartment, a townhouse or a house. Uh, you want some good real estate in that section. Of course, some very good building characteristics, which show the real estate is interesting to the market, um, scarcer to the market, something that drives demand to the asset. And of course, again, like the market landscape can easily change at any time. We don't know what policies will come to marketplace. We don't know, for example, if government says, hey, let's go and build 100,000 dwellings to lower the house price tomorrow. None of us have a clue about where the market is at. So it is uh, firstly another rule, another 101 of real estate to not necessarily rely on predictions of the market. We can be predictive but we don't want to necessarily go, well, I'm just buying real estate to uh, bet on a prediction. And of course, you know, banks, for example, are always putting out predictions. And there's been so much uh, uh, noise around those predictions over the years, and not many of them have ever worked out to be true. So predictions or being predictive. Predictive is the simple concept that most Australians end up on the pension. Most Australians do not have passive income in retirement. The pension for couples in Australia for a couple is $36,000 per annum. That we know. So how do we avoid that? We buy our family home. We work out how to pay it off. We buy an investment property using some of the equity from our family home. We try and do that Twice. We try and do that three times. As much as we possibly can, we try and involve ourselves in getting capital into the market that creates a return, creates cash flow in our world. And that may mean time in the market. Going back to the original 101, we obviously need time to allow those assets to grow and perform and create rent for us into the future, right? It's just the way it is. We're almost taking, uh, we're investing in something now, which actually fixes our future, which is kind of a weird dynamic to think like that. But by doing that, we're predictive. We're saying to ourselves, well, you know, we've got a mortgage, we can predict how long that takes to pay off. Like we can work out that. That is a spreadsheet mathematic, but we're not relying on predictions that we're going to end up in a place. And I think um, the more you take control of your finances, the better when it comes to real estate. So you can catch a ride when it comes to real estate investment, when it comes to capital growth. You can't. 
Like growth comes and goes from the marketplace. And real estate is very much a sentiment sport. If people are feeling positive, if the mood's very good, if money's fairly cheap and available, people tend to want to buy real estate. And of course, uh, here in Australia, we've always got new people coming into the system. So it does create a result of more owner-occupiers wanting to buy real estate. And equally, often I have commentary around, well, who's going to rent the property? And the real truth around Australian real estate and 101 is we are probably going to see more renters into the future than homeowners. So the better our property is positioned, the better the location, the more appealing it is not only to home buyers, but also to the rental market. Obviously, into the future, the scale of that marketplace is without question going to be uh, great for our investments. And that's, for me, I like to invest, keep things simple. I like bigger places to invest. Uh, If you look at the top 10, top 15 cities in Australia, they're pretty good places. Uh, If you look at the top five, Adelaide, you know, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, like these are where the most of the population of Australia lives. So there's always going to be interest levels to own real estate there. And I think for a lot of property investors, they Uh, start to just remove themselves from just keeping it simple. You know, the acronym, if you like, is KISS, keep it simple, stupid. Like good location, good area, uh, good land, good build, keep it simple and you're going to get a result out of real estate, even when things get curly. Now remember, we've had some curly things unfold. It feels like over the last 20 years, there's been nothing but problems to deal with economically. We've had GFCs, we've had mining market downturns, we've had floods, we've had uh, deflation, we've had inflation, we've had it all. And, you know, along with wars and, and you name it, Um, you're just going to have to develop thick skin to get through this thing called time in the marketplace. And of course, uh, we also see what I refer to as activity chains in real estate. Real Estate 101 is often about activity chains. And we often refer to the property cycle being, you know, hot, cold, Uh, We often refer to drivers in real estate like infrastructure, population, jobs. These are some of the 101s of real estate. But also there is uh, the chain of real estate, the supply chain of real estate, which is a big part of the puzzle when it comes to property investment. And of course, um, you know, one of the things that I think we'll see over the next 10 years of property investment is just less stock around in general to buy because uh, the supply chain is very much stalling in its production line. And there's a real danger time, if you like, right now of just not enough real estate being produced into the marketplace. 
So a little bit of real estate 101, when there is a lot of stock being produced, generally you can look into when that window of stock is going to be complete through completions. Um, and you can start to work out, well, there's a lot of stock being produced this year. or uh, So what does that kind of mean? That means the stock being developed this year, that means the market is probably going to stabilize and stagnate. That means I can, if I'm negotiating on buying, I can ask for a deal. If there's no stock coming through the system, potentially it means you've got to pay more for real estate. So that's just the way it works. And I think we have to throw out this notion that the day you buy, you're going to get the bargain of a lifetime. And, you know, two years later, the market's just going to throw itself uh, into a huge growth spurt. And, you know, the day you sell is the day that, Everyone in Australia wants to pay more for real estate. It it doesn't work that way. And I think, you know, the more we sort of remove ourselves and remove our logic from that, the less disappointed we're going to be with real estate. Real estate is just a reliable, slow burn to real estate wealth. So uh, I think the next 101 we need to contemplate is depreciation. Now, Real estate is a tax-effective vehicle. It is always, it's been like that for a long time. Um, and, you know, what mystifies me still to this day is a lot of people do not claim enough depreciation from their assets. They don't even get things like depreciation schedules done on the real estate they buy. Uh, they buy real estate which doesn't warrant depreciation. Um, if you buy real estate which is built basically after 1985, uh, you can depreciate it. If you built bought real estate which was built before 1985, you fundamentally can't depreciate it. So again, like depreciation is a massive, massive benefit for Australian real estate because it provides more cash flow, it provides more income for property investment. So I think it's a 101. Um, I think it's as good as you get when it comes to real estate. And remember, like, you know, you go to work on a Monday, you exchange your time for money. For most people, they don't get to keep that money. You go to work on a Tuesday, you exchange your time for money. You do not get to keep that money. That goes to the Australian government. We call Wednesday hump day because you go to work, you exchange your time for money, and around 1 o'clock on Wednesday, you're finally making money you put in your back pocket. Where that changes is through depreciation and property investment. I mean, property investments are tax deductible, and of course, uh, depreciation can allow you to claim a lot of money from real estate back every year, which again is a good kickback from the Australian government for propping up the re rental shortages in Australia. You provide rents to the marketplace, rental properties, and you get the deduction for it. So I tell you what, uh, I think it's an important part of the puzzle. And I think, um, you know, for me, it's a bit of a real estate 101. The next sort of 101 that I think is really critical to just 
be upfront with for property investors is that, you know, a lot of TV shows sort of, you know, signal that, you know, you can just buy a property, do a low-cost renovation and flip the property, right? Um, and it doesn't really work that way. I, I even know people who work on those quite famous television programs and most of the trades, most of the, uh, you know, um, you know, paint and so forth is almost donated to the show to get the brands onto the show. Um, so, you know, you have all these sort of brand alliances going on behind the scenes, subliminal messaging going on to the people watching the TV programs. And um, the, the idea that you can renovate for those costs is mortally, it, it, it's not possible. And so again, like, I think we have to have the conversation. If you want to become a renovator, the best way to do that is to either buy a property and take, you know, six weeks off from your job and go and DIY it yourself, um, go and renovate yourself. So that potentially means making sure you buy a property close to where you live um, and or use your friends and family if they're willing to throw in their time to donate their time to help you uh, create a renovation. You might have friends who are sparkies, chippies, um, you know, designers, whatever it may be. You know, you may need to call upon favours to renovate. Um, however, if you're going to armchair renovate, it can be a little bit expensive and quite often not work out to the level you think it's going to work out. And again, to then go and flip the property, most people who become flippers in real estate when it comes to renovation are full-time real estate investors. In other words, they've worked out how to do that. They've given up their full-time job and they take on projects. So the point of the conversation is I think we need to distinguish that real estate can be a buy and hold asset class, which takes time and maturity for the asset to mature, but also the neighborhood to mature, sometimes even the marketplace to mature around the asset. Then you can buy real estate, which you can create a project out of. You can't be really in the middle. And this is where I think a lot of property investment fail at 101. They're kind of trying to do both and they don't know which bit they should, uh, they should do. Should they, they've made a gain, should they flip? Um, they've, uh, you know, um, you know, they, they bought a property to add value to it, but never add value to it. So again, I think it's just better to choose one line in the sand. Probably the best way to do that, in my opinion, is to be a buy and hold real estate owner on one side of the barbell, on the other side of the barbell, create a trading strategy. Uh, and it can be freaking awesome. I mean, if you've feel sophisticated enough, you can do some trading. Um, you can, you know, buy real estate, invest in things. You can, um, you know, trade uh, properties. But generally, 
one of the better ways to do that rather than spending your time doing a renovation is just teaming up with other people and and basically, uh, you know, doing a development, getting an application approved and moving on a site. So just two nuances, right? There's no right or wrong, but I'm just telling you like where I see most people underperform as property investors is this kind of middle ground. It's like I bought a property, I can add value to it, but I'm never going to add value to it. So why'd you buy the property to add value to it? Why haven't you add value to it? Well, I'm never, I don't have any money to add value to it. So all of a sudden you kind of have these underperforming assets, which never stand out in a marketplace, which is crying out for performing good properties. So one of the trading barriers in Australia and America has got sort of less trading barriers because it's just set up differently as a property market. And quite often these TV shows stem out of America more than anywhere else. Like here in Australia, we've got stamp duty, right? It's pretty expensive. Then you've got things like land tax. You've got things like the legals to buy and sell properties. You've got interest rate. You've got real estate agents, they're not cheap. You've got marketing costs, like that's usually not a cheap exercise as well. Uh, You may have um, certainly council contributions to make. So uh, all of it adds up. And again, I think, you know, one of the, the conversations around the idea that we're, you know, going to do this stuff is you're either going to do it or you're not, is what I'm trying to point out. It is a real estate 101. What I've worked out over the years, and I've been doing this a very long time, is that you're better off just creating two vehicles. One, which is like, this is, if, if you're going to do this, if you're going to be a trader, you go, you go down that road, but you also go down the road of, I'm going to buy this stuff, I'm going to leave it alone, I'm never going to touch it. Uh, it is long-term investment. So pigeon pair the two, if if you like, is probably the best way to do that. Otherwise, just stick to buy and hold in my view. The next pigeon pair thing you need to do is, as a real estate 101, is balance your portfolio. And again, I think a lot of property investors end up too negatively geared. In other words, their job is holding up the real estate and they start to dislike property ownership and they don't end up doing it for 21 plus years. The reason being is they do not have a cash flow plan. So I like to teach that you should buy capital growth properties, the best possible capital growth properties. And for every couple of capital growth properties you buy, you might buy a cash flow property. Today, though, cash flow properties are not in weird little Gopnik villages in the middle of nowhere. They're not uh, in regional towns that lack infrastructure. They are simply in places, place economies, places where people want to holiday, places where people want to go, suburbs which are connected to action. And, uh, you know, personally, I like doing it in CBDs or close to major CBDs where, uh, you know, people travel to, right? And again, you can do things like Airbnb, which provide cash flow. Again, the reason we do that is we just want to balance out our portfolio with a bit of growth and a bit of cash flow, which buys us time. Cash flow just buys time in Australian real estate. 
time for you to distinguish debt, time for you to uh, allow your assets to mature. It's not common in Australian real estate today for people just to buy positive cash flow properties and then live off the income of positive cash flow properties. 20 years ago, there was a massive positive cash flow boom. People were going to mining towns and buying real estate. They were picking up real estate for $100,000 that would rent for $1,000 a week. It was amazing. That period, though, ended up blowing up in people who came late to the cycle. People were starting to pay a million dollars for that same $100,000 property that was originally renting for $1,000 a week, which all of a sudden was still renting for $2,000 a week. They ended up burnt because that million-dollar marketplace went back to $100,000 and the rents actually dropped back to, uh, you know, $150 a week in rent. So there was some periods, if you like, where in Australian real estate, the idea of positive cash flow property was a big thing. And um, I certainly lived through that era. I invested through that era. It was an interesting era because you were looking for very, very affordable properties that basically had never been discovered before as areas to invest in. But the fundamentals were not there. You were just simply, uh, it was a little bit like a hot potato, if you like, at the time. Today, the best way to create positive cash flow is to buy a good capital growth property and change the trajectory of the cash flow on the good capital growth property. And you do that through things like furnishing your property, making it better designed and just renting it out normally. Um, or you can do things like Airbnb and just basically short term those assets for better yields. But the point of the conversation is, unless um, you know you're earning a, a lot of money, um, you know you may need some support, and real estate can provide that support. And we use the balancing pigeon pair process to do that. So it's a pretty cool way to do it. Um, I follow this strategy, and uh, I think it's one of the best. Right, that you want a good property, but then you can change its trajectory of the cash flow. A lot of people I help with this strategy also don't actually enact doing it. Um, they are doing it so that actually they don't want the hassle now. They just want consistency of rent. But actually their exit strategy from work is to change the trajectory of the cash flow on those properties and furnish them and executively let them and um, use them in that context, which I think is awesome that they're planning out their roadmap like that. Wouldn't that be great? You get to retirement and you can accelerate your cash flow from the real estate that you own because it's in the right street, in the right neighborhood for that purpose. So I think it's, um, I think um, my, you know, I tip my hat to many of those investors because they give it a good crack and it makes a lot of sense to me. I think, um, you know, one real estate 101, if you like, and I know this is going to sound contrarian to what a lot of people say, but I actually think, you know, if you wouldn't live in the property, you know, why would you own it, right? I think all of us deep down actually have a hidden kind of logic that, 
you know, I'll buy the investment property if I could see myself living there and if the world ends and I can't afford where I live today, I could live there. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that logic, to be honest with you, as long as the mathematics works behind it. I think it makes a lot of sense because the odds are if you want to live in the property, probably so do another 50 people. Uh, And that means there's going to be a good level of demand for those type of assets into the future. I think, um, you know, again, going back to some of the rules of investment, I think, you know, we've got to forget about some of these short-term predictions that we see constantly. You know, what annoys me about property investment is is a long-term thing, but we hear about it every single day. And the media has really caught on to that Australians love property and talk about it. And I guess some of the big lessons that we see in real estate is that people do, um, you know, often react to the media and cheat themselves out of, you know, getting involved in real estate. I think what we have learned as a real estate 101 is we can get paralyzed and the idea of analysis paralysis is a thing in real estate. Like in all honesty, um, the perfect deal doesn't exist. And the reason the perfect deal doesn't exist is the perfect piece of real estate is never going to be sold. It's never going to come to market. Like it's not, it does not exist in the context that if it did exist, someone's going to hold on to it. And I see some real A-grade real estate, which people, you know, first time sold in 50 years kind of thing. So, you know, that's the good stuff out there. And so we just need to work out how to work in the dirt how to analyze real estate, make sure that we're, you know, buying some good stuff. Um, you know, the golden rules of real estate, go listen to that episode. Um, it's it's an easy way to understand how to sort of navigate what to buy, but don't take forever, right? Like at the end of the day, you know, if you pay 5% too much for a property or you get a 5% discount on property or, you know, like over the long term, it doesn't really matter what actually matters is the compounding effect of your asset improving into the future. What you paid for it within reason is actually not the, uh, how should I put it, not the be all and end all of the purchase, right? Like at the end of the day, um, I'd prefer to pay 5%, 10% more for an asset which is going to get better compounding growth because it's in the right location than, uh, you know, buying something cheap and cheerful, um, you know, just for, just for the, you know, just to get another property under my belt. So uh, 101 of property investing, I think we need to uh, make sure that we are getting on with this thing called property investment because, again, financially, we just, don't have a long time. And I'd like to, at a 101 level, just break down, you know, we kind of spend the first 30 years of our life getting to know each other. The average person's buying a property at 36 today. Most people want to work 30. Most people I see want to tap out about 55 these days. They're exhausted by work. Um, so, you know, the first 30 years of our life, we're trying to get to know each other. The middle 30 years, 
we've got this incredible opportunity to invest and then the final sort of 30 years we have to work out how to live on those investments. So constantly being paralyzed by the media, you know, just remember, work out how to turn that noise down and you're probably going to have a happier time owning real estate. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. I will catch you next time on uh, another fun-filled episode of Property Investment. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.